Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. Our topic today is Know Your Industry. Each vertical requires specialty knowledge. In this case, we're going to be tackling some aspects of the education technology sector, also known as ed tech. People have often have often have the question, how do I manage an industry with long sales cycles and administrative hurdles? Today, we're discussing Circled In. Circled In is an award-winning 21st century recruitment platform matching high school students with the best fit colleges and universities, improving outcomes for both sides. Within this secure online platform, students maintain their holistic profile and portfolio of accomplishments showcasing themselves in the best possible way and get discovered by colleges. Using this rich data, colleges can find the best fit candidates and meet their enrollment goals along with equity and diversity goals and improve on metrics of retention, graduation, and employability. CircleIn's mission is also to level the playing field of college admissions by bringing at-risk youth into light. Circled In is used by thousands of students as a secure e-portfolio platform to compile their entire school life achievement. With a comprehensive portfolio, students showcase themselves in the most authentic and best possible way and to get discovered by colleges, universities, and also employers. Circled In has garnered national awards, including the Grand Stevie Award, given to the top 10 companies in the United States. Circled In has been featured in local and national media, including Huffington Post, SiriusXM, Seattle Times, TechCrunch, Geek Wire, and CBS Kirk Channel 7. The company has raised a C round and is getting good traction in the marketplace. We're going to be speaking with Ritu Gupta, founder of Circled In. Ritu Gupta is co-founder and CEO. Ritu is passionate about education and knows that this 100-plus-year-old industry is ready for disruption. Before Circled In, Ritu spent 20 years in corporate America, from startups to Fortune 50 companies. Ritu earned her MBA as valedictorian in technology management from the Foster School of Business at University of Washington and her MS and BS from NIT in India. Ritu volunteers her time and skills for various organizations as a speaker and mentor. With Circled In, she hopes to leave a lasting legacy in the field of technology and education. Welcome, Ritu. 
Thank you, and it's wonderful to be here. So excited to have you. Our ed tech expert is Greg Gunn. Greg is the co-founder of Lingo Ventures, where he makes early stage investments in education and workforce technologies. In 2000, he co-founded Wireless Generation, now called Amplify, a leading educational software company serving millions of students annually with groundbreaking assessment and instruction products. As president, Greg built the company's product development, sales, and analytics division and shipped the award-winning M-Class handheld formative assessment platform. Greg holds a bachelor's degree in physics from the University of Chicago, an MBA and master's in computer science from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University. He currently is a trustee of the Nellie Mae Education Foundation, Power My Learning, and Education Leaders of Color. He was named one of Fast Company Magazine's 100 Most Creative People in Business in 2012. He serves as an expert in residence at Harvard University's Innovation Lab and is on the faculty of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me. Excited you're here. No, we're, 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 this is Christina. We're super excited to have this conversation, and particularly for me as a mother and someone in the technology workforce planning space, I'm super excited to talk to you, Greg and Ritu, to talk about your uh, your product. So, Ritu, let's start with you uh, as we talk about this industry that's ready for disruption. Uh, tell us a little bit about why this product and how did you see the need for it? Um, so, actually, I personally went through a very painful admissions process with my own daughter. And uh, during that process, I thought there's got to be something where I can compile her portfolio and profile over time and use it for various applications. I didn't find anything. So I decided to make one. At the same time, I found that pain was double-sided, meaning colleges were spending billions of dollars on recruitment and outreach and still not meeting their goals. At the same time, the shift from SAT and ACT to this holistic review of candidates was also leaving colleges in a situation where they had to go to social media. So with CircleLin, we are filling that gap and meeting the needs for both sides. Yeah, it's so interesting that sometimes some of the best products and services are started through our own pain and the gaps that we see just as individuals and people. Um, can you tell us about the journey, right, and the history of the company, how you arrived at where CircleLin is today? Yeah, absolutely. So initially we started um, CircleLin, uh, it was back in May 2015. We did the closed beta with a bunch of parents uh, because more than 100 parents told me that they would love to have this product. Um, and uh, at the same time, one of the parents somehow connected me to their school. And he's like, won't it be cool to have it under that school portal? We ended up creating a school portal, then under that teacher's account, and then students. We started marketing to schools as well as youth organizations who work with high school students, like YMCA, Boys and Girls Club. Um, we had decent traction. But what we also found that that path was very, very slow. Sales cycle was long, um, and there were too many parties in decision-making that were involved. So earlier, um, back in 2017, mid-2017, we decided to change a little bit about how we are marketing the product, and we decided to go direct to students. And that is what we launched in January of 2018, and we are seeing amazing amazing results with that product offering. So can we dive into that a little bit more and how you decided not 
uh, or how you decided that decision process and who to charge for the product? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what we found is that when we were going through schools, and we still do go through schools, that is still one of our channels, um, it's not only that sales cycle was longer, we did not have very much attention from our end user. That was only during the school time. They thought of it like math homework mm. from school. Um, when we went direct to direct to students, we refined our product so it resonates better with them. It's more fun. We added some gamification. And users or end users like you and I, we are used to having free software offering. This is not something you can touch or feel. So people were not going to pay for it, at least not the initial version, because they don't know us. We don't have any brand equity. We don't have very much presence. So we decided to offer it free to students and families and build our user base. At the same time, what we found that colleges already have a budget line item. They're already spending hundreds and thousands of dollars in buying leads from College Board and ACT and other offerings, so they are already spending that money. With Circle Day, we believe that we can bring better value, so we decided to charge the other two, other side of the ecosystem, which is colleges and universities. Tell us a little bit more about that, Richu. I know you had some interesting statistics about how much colleges actually pay to acquire um, new students. Yes, that is correct. So this is based on an independent survey that is done every year by a company. And what we found is that colleges spend close to $2,300 on one student, getting one student in their classroom. But that's not the surprising fact. The surprising fact is they lose um, 41% of those students in very next year. So first year retention is only 59%. Out of that, only 60% students graduate in six years. So as an economy, as a nation, as an institution for colleges, I think we can do better than that. So these statistics made me think that they're just like LinkedIn has revolutionized the corporate recruiting, we think that CircleLink can do the same thing for college recruitment. And even when we are talking individually to colleges and universities, we are finding out how much money they are spending just to buy the email list from current sources. And it's, it's really, really high. So, so what else are they doing? So this cost of acquisition, right? I mean, that's something that I'm pretty mm-hmm. familiar with in my world of marketing. We talk about kind of CPAs all the time, but what are they actually paying for? So you mentioned kind of an email list, um, but how are they working to do that acquisition exactly? The colleges. Right. So, Yeah, what happens is, uh, interestingly, most people are aware of college applications process only from a student perspective because most of the people have kids. So when you and I go through that process, we think only one-sided. We are thinking, oh, my kid is applying, my kid is uh, looking for all these different options. What most people don't know that colleges are literally working as an organization with the marketing funnel, good or bad, that's how it works. So what they do, even before students apply, even before the application process, these colleges reach out to high school students. They send them flyers. They send them emails. They invite them for campus visit and stuff like that. It's literally what you and I will do for any organization colleges do for their institution. And their goal is to fill every single seat in their freshman class. 
Now, of course, if you're talking top tier, Harvard's and MIT's, they don't have trouble. But tier two and below, college admissions have been declining in the United States for the last five years. Every single seat left empty in the classroom is lost revenue for that institution. So what are they doing? They are reaching out to these students. And how they do it, um, students take SAT and ACT tests for the college admissions process. And SAT is organized by College Board, ACT is by ACT. These organizations actually sell the list of students who took the test, they sell that to colleges. Now, um, as long as students approve of that, it's okay. Now, the challenge with that data is, one, it's based on one survey done by students when they register for tests. The survey is actually 36 questions we checked on College Board, and it's all optional. Students are not going to fill in what activities they are involved in, sports and music and volunteering and all of that. And the bigger problem with that mechanism is that colleges are losing out on equity and diversity goals. Because those kids that we call at-risk youth, they don't take SAT and ACT. Why? Because they don't think college is an option for them. Whereas on Circle Day, what we are doing is we are not taking a survey from students say, hey, tell us what you did in one hour window. Students are creating portfolio on a regular basis. It's not what they say they want to do, but it's actually what they have already done. If a student puts in, I played basketball, he actually plays basketball, and that is why it is on his or her portfolio. Secondly, because we sponsor scholarships, we can attract those at-risk youth. And our scholarships work very differently. They are not only for college. They are for any educational purposes, including for high school. So with that, we can attract this at-risk youth, meaning our platform is very diverse, and the whole spectrum of students are served. Now when we bring accredited colleges, they can not only meet their enrollment goals, they can find the best fit candidate for their institution and improve all the metrics all along. That's the value proposition we believe CircleIn brings to the table. And tell me just a little bit and tell our listeners, you know, what's that um, pricing structure for colleges? Are you paying, are they going to be paying for access to the platform as a whole? Or are they paying per student? Like, how, how, are, how are you thinking about that? Yeah, so we still have to do some testing in the market for willingness to pay, of course. Uh, we have looked at how the existing solutions are um, charging colleges, and it's mainly subscription-based. Every year, there's a fixed amount colleges pay, let's say $20,000. They go to College Board, and then they get email lists from College Board or ACT. And those email lists are only on certain test dates. So college, for example, SAT, if that happens 10 times a year, College Board will send 10 lists to colleges during the year. Same thing with ACT. So what we are thinking, our value proposition will determine what our pricing will be. Um, and it will be subscription-based, of course, as well as per lead pricing. So as an example, if a university comes in and says, we are looking for a brass player for our orchestra team next year, and it has happened, by the way, in university, um, in that case, we can do our own intelligent querying, our own data analytics, and uh, using machine learning, we can connect them to those best-fit candidates, and that pricing will be 
Got it. Thanks. That's helpful for the foundation of the discussion we want to have. Okay, we've talked a little bit about where you've been. Let's learn more about where you want to go. How do you anticipate the scaling the uh, scaling the platform? Will it scale like a software or have accompanying service content such as for colleges? Can you give us a little bit more information? Yes. Um, so, as we were saying, we want to be the platform for students to showcase themselves and get discovered. We are starting with colleges, but we want to be that de facto platform for all youth recruitment, whether it's internship, whether it's summer job, whether it's scholarship, and of course colleges. So that is where we want to be. And other thing is globally, not just United States. We are starting in the United States, but technology knows no geographic boundaries, which means we will be globally everywhere in every country where we want to be. Uh, now, as far as software is concerned, we are hosted on cloud of a Fortune 50 company, one of the biggest companies that brings us security and instant and unlimited scalability. If tomorrow 100 million students come on the platform, we can handle that. Um, as far as future is concerned, we are also looking at other markets where we can bring the not only colleges to the platform, but bring other services to students as well, employers looking for interns, employers looking for summer jobs. So we become that one platform where people can find good fit youth under 18 for their purposes, and when there is a good match, we connect them together, creating win-win for both sides. Yeah, Saritu, thanks for that. You know, it's it's so important to look at what the market is demanding and making sure your product or service aligns with that. Uh, but Greg, we want to turn to you uh, just because we know that ed tech can be a frustrating um, industry, especially with the long sales cycles, as Ritu mentioned earlier, and the administration or administrative burdens that many of the colleges and universities face. Um, so you've been really successful in leading a company to exit in the ed tech space. How do you, what uh, advice would you give companies like Ritu's in addressing, you know, balancing their market demands along with some of these long sales cycles? Sure. Uh, you know, well, one of the things that a lot of companies in this sector deal with, just as Ritu is, is you're, you're trying to, you're creating, you're offering a product, you're offering a service, which, you know, has value to a student, but also has some kind of value to an institution, either a K-12 school or district or, or a college or, or other higher education institution. And so you have a lot of options within that space about, who you're trying to serve, how you're trying to serve them, you know, who you're charging. And so, so it, companies typically do go through this process over a period of time of experimenting with charging different parties, providing different service to different parties until they land on a business model that, that kind of sticks and, and starts to grow. In the, in the ed tech market, you, you have the challenge as part of that, though, is that K-12 institutions, um, as well as higher education institutions, uh, they're institutional sales. They're institutional sales. There are a lot of stakeholders in, in almost any process. And it, as Ritu pointed out before, you know, it, in her experience with K-12, you find that there are a lot of people in the process who can say no, but it's tough to figure out the, per, per, the people in the process who can actually say yes. Um, and so 
you know, learning that process of doing the of doing the institutional sale, uh, it, it's often a big learning curve for entrepreneurs. Some people think, you know, some people do have the perception that Kate, that the sales cycles are tougher in K twelve than they are in high red. I'm not really sure that's true. Uh, I think they just have their different hurdles. Uh, in in K twelve, you're often dealing with public institutions, which have you know all of which have all the challenges of government contracting as well, mm-hmm. um, and that's sometimes not the case in higher ed. But in any case, you're still you're still going through a process of learning. You know what's the what's the right approach? What's the right department? What's typically the right department for me to sell into first? Um, how do I tell if somebody is going to be a champion of this thing? Um, how do I figure out how to deal with the common objections? How do I figure out how to deal with the objections from the technology office? How do I handle the objections from you know, the, the finance office? You know, how do I deal with pricing? Uh, and so a lot, I end up referring a lot of entrepreneurs just to, just to doing some research on institutional selling. Um, there's a lot that you can learn from other salespeople, um, but there's also tons of books. Just, you know, sometimes it goes under institutional selling, strategic selling, consultative selling, but whatever the name, it, it's really getting guidance on how to deal with sort of a multi, deal with a sales process that involves a lot of individuals and where you really have to sell to different roles over an extended period of time to get the sale. The, uh, and um, so, the, you know, these things are learnable, these things are knowable, but they are learning curves. And once an entrepreneur decides that there's a particular kind of institution that they want to sell to, it can often take one or two years before they, you know, before they've gone through dozens or hundreds of pitches and really feel like, you know, they've nailed the value proposition and they can close the deal, you know, 40% of the time. In this case, Greg, Ritu had two different sides of it be institutional selling, and she's kind of tried to um, diversify on the K-12 side to not just have institutional selling, but also direct to users, in this case students and maybe parents as well. Um, That sounds like something that is wise to try to do at least, I mean, not to give up the institutional selling perhaps, but to see what kind of value can be offered directly to users because obviously that's not quite the same thing in a in a college or university setting she wouldn't have the option to say you know hey you know to talk to a one-off person so what's your thought about balancing the two sides of the equation there right and so and and again that you know that's a that's a very reasonable move that that she's made uh to try to create value uh to try to create value on the student side but not charge them for it um, and then, you know, deliver value and and charge for it on the, you know, on the college or school side. The some of the challenge so some of the challenging things are going to come, uh, and and she's probably already dealing with now is just how do I how do I create enough value for the user who's not paying, um, but you know how do I create enough value for them to, you know really get value from it, really engage with it, really become part of it um, without going broke because they're not actually paying for it. Uh, and so the, but, and, and she, and she, in this case, particularly needs to make sure that students are engaging fully so that the quality of the information they're putting in 
you know, their portfolios are going to really need to be complete, really reflective of who they are. Um, you know, she's probably going to want to be capturing other information about the student's interests and goals so that the college, as they're doing their searches, as they're trying to you know, find the right match, really have a good body of information to work with, you know, much more than you might see on a LinkedIn profile or something like that. So, so any investments that Circled In makes to try to try to do things that will encourage people to use the platform well, you know, invest the right kind of effort, put together high quality portfolios, you know, those are those kind of investments hopefully will be really, you know, a benefit on the college value side and that'll enable her to get more and more of those lead of those revenue generation of those lead generation dollars which are which are, you know, very much competed for in this market. So I think the so figuring out that balance, how much do I invest in the in the, uh, in the student side services, um, and and how do I make sure I'm making the investments that are really going to deliver more value on the on the college side? That that's going to be the tricky balance over time. So so let's dig into that a little bit more. You know, just the business model itself, and ch- you know, charging universities and colleges for this kind of information. Um, you know, Ritu had pointed out some good statistics on what colleges actually do charge, but we also know that those dollars are highly competed for and that there are just some hurdles. Would you give us a little more insight on that side of things? Yes. So the so almost so there are tons of companies that have that have sort of come to come to this business model for for the same reasons uh, that Ritu has. They're trying to, they're trying to create, create about. They're trying to do something useful for students to help students pursue the educational goals that they want, um, but they're reluctant to charge students for it, um, either because they don't want to or or because they don't think they can sustainably. Um, and so, going for the college dollars, and especially for an admissions process, the you know the lead generate the lead purchasing dollars are the logical dollars. So. But you have a market where there are hundreds of different companies providing different kinds of value to students um, that are all funded with that dollar. Um, so it becomes a very competitive market. So, you, so thinking about, and I think Ritu has made some, some very smart moves in terms of positioning for that dollar. Um, so Ritu, you mentioned already one of your competitors is, is sort of these lists that come out of the College Board and other institutions. Those lists mm-hmm. provide very basic information, nothing close to a profile of the student. So you're immediately more valuable than that, right? right. Um, yes. But there, are good, but there are other platforms out there that do things like an extended survey with a student, an extended you know, interest inventory with a student, all right? So those may be mm-hmm. somewhere between the value of a list and somewhere in, in the value of circled in, but those are real competitors. Um, and so think, and there are a variety of other services. But mm-hmm. you know, think, But some of the things I think you've done, I think some of the work you've already done in terms of trying to flesh out a value value proposition for for K twelve schools and the counselors and advisors who work there, those yeah. people may be a big help in making sure that the quality of student data that's getting put into this thing is really really good. Um, and so, those kind of investments on that end may actually do a lot to put the quality of your data ahead of the rest. Um, and, the, and the other thing I would add is that the other the other thing that colleges are paying for, which you, you already alluded to, 
is, you know, not just the lead of this is a student who might be a good candidate, but are you offering a good mechanism for the college to then reach out to and interact with that student over time um, so that they can, so that, a stu- so that a college can woo a student who, you know, might think, who might have their eyes set on a different college, you know, is this, is circled in going to give me a way to establish a different kind of relationship with the student that other platforms don't allow me to do? Um, and so that, that may be a whole other dimension of value uh, that circled in can yeah. offer as the data continues to improve in quality. And that will help us to have multiple tiers of pricing, actually, Greg, that's a very good point. Um, there can be a base price, and then depending on more information and the the interest that students have expressed in other colleges can give us um, leverage for pricing differently for different offerings. I I think what's been interesting so far, Greg, about what you've talked about is, number one, how people can approach this market. You talked about building a skill set, right? You also talked about the different things that Ritu has done to position herself well and then to think about the competitors. We've talked about that going for that dollar might be competitive, um, and I think now it'd be just interesting to see if Greg, you had other ideas about how Ritu is positioning herself overall, because she has made some really interesting choices. One of the things that we haven't talked about yet, for example, is that she has been offering a scholarship for students. So again, another kind of creative way to get in front of potential users and so forth. Um, so maybe you have ideas on that side, or maybe you have ideas on the side of other things she could do to make herself more competitive in to, to the colleges and universities, which you were talking about a little bit too. Yeah, and I actually would love to hear a little bit more about the scholarship model to understand how it how it fits into the how it fits into the um, uh, strategy here. Okay. So actually, that's pretty straightforward. Just like colleges offer scholarships, we have our own scholarship that we offer to students who are 13 and over. So usually it's eighth grade and above, and they have to be registered in a school. They have to be uh, legal U.S. residents and stuff like that. And uh, the idea behind that is, uh, one, to make students think about that they do need a portfolio, and here's a nice platform is for us to bring circled in in front of these students and attract them to the platform. And the second thing is, once they are on the platform, we have built some gamification. And um, using that gamification, we can, talking about stickiness of the platform, we can make students come back again to the platform to update their portfolio. So as soon as a quarter ends, we send them an automated email saying, hey, did you participate any, in any sports this quarter? Uh, go ahead and put that in your circle in if you did. So those are some of the intelligent prompting that we call we are doing that. Scholarship is another thing. The main goal behind scholarship actually is to attract those what we call at-risk youth for equity and diversity goals. That includes first-generation students. Um, students living under poverty line. And what we are seeing is Circle Lane is resonating very well with those students and those schools as well, K-12. We are serving lots and lots of schools in South Seattle area that are actually 60 to 70% free and reduced lunch population. And scholarship helps us bring those students out in the light. 
Does that answer your totally question? Totally makes correct? sense. That's great. Yeah, and, and Richo, I have, I have a question for you, and I think it's great that you're, you know, adapting and changing to, again, the market demands, um, what you see that the students may need, as well as the data that you're collecting that can be useful for the colleges and universities. How are you actually collecting new requirements or identifying some of those differentiators from your um, competitors? Um, so first of all, it's just customer discovery, talking to lots and lots and lots of colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. We have done that. Lots of interviews over the last uh, two, three years. That's one thing I will say. And as far as competition is concerned, um, and I know it may sound sort of cliche, we have not found a competition that does that holistic thing that we are doing. There are portfolios where students can just go put their videos and media files, and colleges have told us that, hey, that's your photo album. I'm not interested in your photo album. Mm -hmm. With Circled In, we have the whole storyline. It's in the dimension of time as well. So it's not just seven different categories where students are compiling their accomplishments. It's over time. It shows the progression. So um, as an example, we recently came back from South by Southwest EDU mm -hmm. conference in Austin, Texas, which was our first national presence uh, in a conference. And interestingly, we heard from so many teachers and educators and counselors and admission officers that they had not seen anything like this before. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't want to sound arrogant or anything like that, but that is what we heard at the national team, which was very interesting for us to hear. Everybody has seen portfolio platforms. You can sell stuff on Etsy. That's a portfolio platform. But what we bring is a more holistic story. So that is why after we came back from South by Southwest, we have 125 people who want to talk to us about Circle Lane and using it in their institution. So we are doing something, right? Yeah, I think that's great. First of all, congrats on the national presence at South by Southwest. What a great platform for you uh, to talk about Circled In. Uh, and I really do like the idea of the storyline because a lot about the holistic picture of a student, especially the um, area that you're focused, which is K-12. We've got a lot of focus, you know, in adult learners mm -hmm. and other areas, but K-12, I think, is a really open field. And so really looking at that storyline of skills and cert certifications, I think, is great. Now, excuse <coughs> me. There was a um, another company called Pathbright, which you may be familiar with. I think we spoke about it on one of our calls with Heather Hiles, who happens to be one of the 27 African-American women who received uh, funding in excess of a million dollars and actually sold that company to Cengage. So there's a need for it. Mm -hmm. um, so when you look at the, creating that storyline of skills and certifications, what other integrations or partnerships are you looking at to help build that, that holistic picture? Um, very good question, actually. So, and that is a delicate balance, and here's why. We do not have integration with SIS, which are school information systems. And partially we decided against that was we wanted to be an open platform as well as closed. And what I mean by that, open in the sense that if I'm a student, I'm Johnny Smith, I have my portfolio here, I can send for any application to anyone, um, whether it's McDonald's down the street or whether it's University of Washington doing, uh, looking for research interns or whether it's, of course, college and scholarship. And the receiving party does not have to have an account on Circle Din. 
they can just click on my link and they can use that portfolio to assess me for that position that they are looking for. Close in the sense that it is completely secure. Nobody can come and Google or Bing or search for me, Johnny Smith, on any platform. So it's completely secure. To meet these two goals, we did not want to integrate with any of these um, homegrown solutions or any tools that are very, very specific to K-12, and they only work inside the firewall of K-12 IT systems. And what we have done, though, we have integrated with uh, Microsoft Single Sign-On and Google Single Sign-On, and we recently did integration with uh, what we call Microsoft SDS, Mm -hmm. Google Data Sync. That is all pipe that... uh, Think of it as a plumbing pipe underneath, and uh, we are operating above that pipe. So we, if we are launching in a pool, we don't have to have their roster with us, and so we don't have to deal with any kind of data sharing challenges and issues that schools may have sharing their roster with a third party or with an independent party. So those pipes, like uh, SDS, single sign-on for both Microsoft and um, Google, provides us with that flexibility without compromising of our goal to be an open as well as closed platform. And Greg, I think, you know, we too has done a lot of these different kinds of things to really think about how to position ourselves well in the market, right? Being really having a secure platform, offering a scholarship. Um, One of the things we haven't talked about yet is kind of also focusing on a very particular geographic region with, you know, not trying to spread herself too thin as she's starting to scale up and get some really nice traction. Are there other things that, from your standpoint, you can think about in the ed tech sector? Hey, you know, I would definitely think about this and maybe talk a little bit more about other suggestions for her scaling and growth and positioning the company as a really attractive option for colleges and universities and students, for that matter. Sure. So one thing that one thing that comes to mind uh, that, that's often relevant in ed tech is that uh, there, there are some very traditional um, marketing techniques that work very well uh, in this field. So, um, so when when we think of conferences, so when you know new companies in ed tech are thinking about conferences, they normally think about South by Southwest and and you know the Arizona State University conference, various con- high profile conferences like that. But some of the places you can really make a difference are at the targeted professional conferences, the Targeted Professional Association. So going to, um, so going to conferences where you know, where you know, um, you know, college advisors or college admissions counselors are clustering, um, you know, places where you know high school uh, advisors and counselors are clustering, and, and, and creating a presence at those places, have, holding events at those places, at those conferences. And starting to build a buzz within those within those targeted professional communities um, about what you're doing, those can have extraordinarily high leverage. But you know, but today's ed tech sort of entrepreneurs often forget about some of those old ways of, of building building network and buzz. But those are still very much alive in this industry, and especially in the early days. Um, you know, like you probably don't want to spend money having you know a huge event at an industry conference. But having right. targeted events um, or, you know, targeted opportunities for people to see your work um, and having some kind of presence at those conferences um, can, be, can be hugely enormous. And, and in some ways they can be 
a better use of your, your marketing dollar than some of the higher profile ed tech conferences. Um, and Rita, this is Zena. You've had some, uh, speaking of conferences and getting some visibility, uh, you've received some press already, haven't you, uh, regarding your platform? Because that, that could also add on uh, increasing awareness and visibility about your platform by getting some additional press. Um, yes, that is absolutely correct, Zena. And we have been lucky, or I should say I have hustled so much that we have had really amazing press with literally zero dollars spent. Like absolutely no dollar spent, and uh, since um, I think it was uh, uh, November or uh, October of 2015 till date, we almost had one coverage per month on average. Um, so it has been pretty. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah, Seattle Times has covered us three times already. Geekwire has covered us three, four times. Sometimes it's the coverage for the company and offering itself, and sometimes it's about me. They talk me as an entrepreneur and me being um, a woman of color, being an immigrant, so that brings another interesting perspective. And right now, I am circled in. I am that brand. So when people talk about me or when my coverage comes in Seattle Times or any other paper, it is actually coverage about Circle Dane. Nobody knows me as a person. Everybody knows me as CEO and founder of Circle Dane. So, yes, that PR has been extremely helpful. People have reached out to me saying, hey, I saw your article in Geek Wire. In fact, January this year, I did a Facebook Live event from New York because somebody saw my coverage in a local Geek Wire um, uh, website. And they were like, oh, we would like to do a Facebook Live event with our audience where you can share your insights into education. So, yes, PR has been extremely helpful, and it has been all organic on our end. We don't have any agency. We didn't spend any dollar. So, Ritu, I, th I think that's that's awesome. Um, and thank you for giving us a little bit more kind of depth about you as a person and, and what perspectives you bring, not just to the company, but to the experience. And, and kind of to that, um, and I, Greg, this is probably more geared towards you, just with the changing landscape of ed tech. You know, we often talk about, you know, what is a student today, right? And we're looking at creating more lifelong learners. And so while Ritu is focused on K through 12, you know, she also mentioned uh, kind of the immigrant population and, and bringing them into the fold. How does this, you know, really looking at the lifelong learner definition, how does this affect the buying cycle? Um, and how does it affect or um, impact people's experience and fit into this ed tech landscape? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I, I, and I think, I think the, the reality of lifelong learning and the, the importance it's going to have um, in years to come for, for people, for the average person's professional life, uh, means that there's a huge opportunity here that I think, that I think RITU is, is logically positioned for in the next moves. Uh, because remember, the, you know, we have tons of people. We have tons of people who it's, it's already the case that people are changing jobs and even careers um, at, a, at, a, at a more frequent pace um, these days than, than used to be the case. And it, it's likely to be the case where people will have to go through significant retraining and repositioning every five to seven years. Uh, and so the ability of a person to to carry a portfolio, you know, carry something with them uh, through that career, you know, accumulating their new achievements into it, accumulating their new work into it, but at the same time having a tool to reposition 
um, for new opportunities and a new career. I, I think I think it's going to be huge, and I think most people are not really focused on that opportunity yet because they don't know what it looks like. Uh, you, you even look at something like uh, LinkedIn, which is one of the most important uh, professional advertising networks out there, and it, it's not really designed for that kind of positioning that kind of transition Mm -hmm. in a way that you could imagine uh, circled in is quite a bit closer to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely appreciate that. Yeah, I think there's just so much opportunity and change coming in Ritu. We think you're well well positioned, as Greg mentioned, in this space um, and look forward to, you know, the many uh, partnerships that you're going to have and just the impact that you'll have with not, again, just the K-12 population, but beyond um, Greg, I'm going to open it up again and see if there's anything additional that you think Ritu should be thinking about or um, any insights you want to provide around the ed tech space in general. Yeah, so so one other thing that we, we didn't mention too much, I, I, Ritu, I'm sure you're aware of it, but one thing that, that almost any ed tech company has to spend some time thinking about is how it aligns to, how it aligns to federal and state policy. Um, mm-hmm. and federal and state policy initiatives and funding streams. Um, and so right now, you know, especially since, since part of your focus and part of your mission is, is to create, is to open up um, students, you know, perhaps underrepresented students, students of all different groups to opportunities that they might not otherwise have or be looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, are, there are state and federal funding streams that are, that are relevant to those topics. Um, and mm-hmm. so you need to keep an eye out for those things and figure out if there's a way for you to position um, into RFPs where you might be able to get some of those dollars, uh, either for doing your work or for R&D that's relevant to your platform um, or R&D that your platform can contribute to. Um, because mm-hmm. the kind of information you'll be collecting, you may be able to gain mm-hmm. new insights on on important questions like college of college admissions, college persistence, um, you know, college success, uh, that, that are questions that the whole industry is, is mm-hmm. worried about today, but just doesn't have enough, doesn't have enough quality right. information to get the, the right kind of in, actionable insights for. Mm-hmm. Um, so there may be whole opportunities of, um, for grant money that uh, doesn't cost you equity Mm-hmm. Um, it gives mm-hmm. you good opportunities to expand your business. But be looking at that at both the federal and state level. That's a wonderful tip. Thanks, Greg. Uh, and you're right. We had not thought of that so far. Um, so that's, that's a great tip. I will keep my eyes and ears open for that now. Thank you. Yeah, and Ritu, we also want to congratulate you on your recent win. I think you came in second uh, place in a premier tech event in Portland and won uh, about 200k in uh, support. So, congratulations on that, and for your 103 percent growth uh, recently as well. Thank you. Thanks. By the way, that 200k is not the award money; it's the investment money. Just want to be clear. Um, but yes, that was an amazing experience. We had a wonderful time. Um, out of 200 applicants, companies, they were shortlisted 75. Out of 75, five were finalists. And then finally, top two got something out of it, and we were among those top two. So it was a great feeling. That's wonderful. Really. That is. Congratulations. Yeah, thank well, you. Woman of color in tech. What, what, what more <laughs> can we say in that one? Um, now, as we wrap up, Ritu, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, so email. My email is ritu 
Gupta at Kirkaland.com with the K, C-I-R-K-L-E-D-I-N.com or my phone number 206-604-1968. That's brave of you to give your phone number out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Greg, where can our listeners find you? They can find me at uh, Lingo Ventures. My email is greg at lingoventures.us. Great. Well, thank you both for joining us today. And just for our listeners as a wrap-up, today we heard from Circled In, a 21st century platform matching high school students with the best-fit colleges and universities. They aim to be the de facto platform for all youth recruitment globally, almost like a LinkedIn, but a little bit more functionality for, for K-12 through students. Uh, and CEO Ritu Gupta emphasized a few of the following points. You know, she, they really looked at understanding the cost and process of customer acquisition when they first began, looking at metrics and statistics and trends. Uh, then they really looked at deploying a forward-facing pricing model to help, w- help colleges and universities with their lost revenue and making it easier for youth to display what they've done in a portfolio uh, and attracting at-risk youth and others who may not necessarily take the SAT or, or ACT. And they're continuing to test their market, especially in the field of ed tech and beyond. We also heard from Greg, who gave us some really good pointers just in as we looked at the ed tech field. Um, in, in any industry that has many stakeholders like ed tech, it's important to figure out who can say yes during the institutional sale, determine the champions, and determine how to deal and respond to the no's and objectives or those who provide objections. Also, do your research. While there may be a learning curve in it, you can do it and you can overcome some of those challenges. The other is in competitive markets like EdTech, know your differentiator and nail your value proposition. As Ritu has done in looking at uh, some of the gaps in what her competitors provide or don't provide, she's been able to not only provide value to the freemium model, the students, uh, and giving them an opportunity to create value and create data that then she can turn and provide an extraordinary value to her paying customers, which are the colleges and universities. Um, As Greg also mentioned, old ways are still alive, uh, and that can help us with really targeted opportunities. So while high-profile conferences are great, also think about those uh, hyper-local professional organizations and opportunities to increase your leverage and create more contacts. And at the same time, if you are creating data and value like Ritu and Circled In, look at those RFPs and research and development in other areas where you may not have to give equity up. You can get additional funding to help drive your business and your opportunity in the market. Thank you for listening. Uh, please visit our website, getfoundgetfunded.com, for news and updates. And don't miss an upcoming episode. We'll talk to you soon.